Hi everyone, I wanted to do something a little different this week. Uh, in a very recent episode of the Weekly Space Hangout, we had a conversation about a new method for measuring the expansion rate of the universe. And in this segment of the show, we talked about this new method, but also just what it means for the overall crisis in cosmology. And if you're following this, this story is just getting more and more exciting as as more research is being done. So if you haven't already, uh, you should go to the Weekly Space Hangout channel and sign up. And of course, when we start doing the shows again in the fall, if you want more space news, uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. All right, here's the episode. Cosmology. <laughs> it's all wrong. Cosmology and, and what we don't understand. <laughs> so uh, this new study is looking at what we call the standard model of cosmology, which is sometimes called the LCDM model. Uh, CDM stands for cold and dark matter. Uh, L stands for lambda, which is a symbol in the general relativity equation that describes the universe as a whole. Uh, L is, lambda is basically the cosmological constant that Einstein first introduced to keep the universe stable and then became related to dark energy and the Hubble constant. So in, to understand the model, um, we really kind of have to know what the value of this lambda is. And if you know the value of the Hubble constant, then you know lambda. Or if you know lambda, you know the Hubble constant. So, so it all comes down to trying to measure what this Hubble constant is. And the Hubble constant determines the rate at which the universe expands. Basically, the structure in space and time causes the universe to expand at this certain rate that's related to the Hubble constant. And there's several ways that you can measure what that Hubble constant is. The original one is to look at things like CFID variables in nearby galaxies and look at their Doppler effects. So they're moving away from us at a certain distance. Their light is redshifted. And then you can use variable stars to find out um, how far away those galaxies are. Well, this has continued all the way out at ever greater distances to things like supernova. Uh, a type 1a supernova is a standard candle. If you know its brightness, you know uh, from its apparent brightness what its actual brightness is. You can find the distance, and then you can measure the redshift, and that's how you find the Hubble constant. It is basically a ratio of distance and redshift. So the supernova way is, is kind of the, the way that won the Nobel Prize. It's the way that we kind of think of measuring the expansion of the universe. But there are other ways. And one of them is to look at, say, the cosmic microwave background. So uh, it, this background heat left over from the Big Bang uh, has little variations in it. And the, the scale of those variations, as we see them now, depends upon how much the universe has expanded since that initial hot dense state. So if you look at the scale and see where are the most scale of fluctuations, at what size are most fluctuations, you can find out, oh, well, that means that the universe has expanded this much, and then you can find out what the Hubble constant is. Right. So that's all fine and good. Um, if the standard model is correct, these two values should give basically the same result. And it's turned out that as we've made, made ever more precise measurements, they have become ever more in disagreement. So basically, if you look at the uh, cosmic microwave background, 
it gives a value of about uh, 68 kilometers per second per megaparsec, which means that's the speed which you're gaining in the expansion for a megaparsec of distance. Uh, if you do the supernova measurement, it comes out to about 72. Now, early in the day, their uncertainties overlap, so that wasn't a problem, but we're kind of getting to this where they don't overlap right. anymore. And of course, what I would always say is what we need are more ways to measure this. Right. We need new ways to measure this. Well, it turns out that there is a new way to measure it that's that's been published, and it uses a completely independent way from the other two. So the way it's done is to use what's known as a astrophysical maser. So more people are familiar with laser, light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. Maser is microwave amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. It is a microwave laser and it's emitted by water. Basically what happens is that when water is orbiting something like a black hole, a supermassive black hole in the center of a galaxy, it gets excited and it's in just the right configuration that it triggers a cascade. So you get this stimulated emission of water microwaves. And it just happens naturally, whereas here on Earth, it happens in a lab. The nice thing about that is that the, because it's a, a laser, basically, um, lasers have a monochromatic color. So they're a single color and, and they're very coherent. So they basically emit light in a very precise wavelength. Right. And so we're seeing a laser. The color is the color of water in microwaves. Right. Yeah. Basically. So what happens is you can then, because you know that this is water vapor stuff, this is the water maser, you know what that wavelength is. So you can measure the redshift from that galaxy and you know, that supermassive black hole in the center of the galaxy. You measure that really well. So you've got the redshift. Okay. But I mean, we were already measuring the redshift to galaxies just look, I mean, this is what Hubble did, right? To be able to measure the redshift to the Cepheid variables. Is this more accurate than the Cepheid variables? It, it is somewhat more accurate, but but the real key is that you not only have to have redshift, you also have to have some way of doing distance. And usually distance is things like variable stars or supernovas or things like that. What's nice about this is that this material is orbiting the black hole. So as it's spiraling around, one edge of this accretion disk is coming towards us and is blue shifted a bit relative to the overall redshift. So it's okay. less redshifted, if you say. Right. On right, the other right. end, it's moving away from us, and so it's redshifted. Compared to the, the overall redshift of, of the entire galaxy. Right. So basically, you get the whole thing is redshifted, and one side is a little bit less redshifted, and the other side is a little bit more redshifted. So if you actually look at the signal, what you get is you get a triple peak. Right. And it's very easy to identify, but you can make then a very precise measurement of how fast this is rotating at different distances. So that means that, you know, oh, it's, this is close to the black hole is moving this fast. Out here, it's moving this fast. Out here, it's moving this fast. So you can actually find exactly what the size of that right. uh, emission is with the lasers. And you can pinpoint essentially the absolute center of the dead center of every galaxy that you want to look at. Right. But if you know then what the actual size of that accretion disk is, and you compare it with the apparent size in the sky, you're now using size to measure the distance. Right. It's just like looking at a tree. If it's always the same size, 
you know how far away the tree is because you know how big it is. Okay, and then you're comparing that with the redshift to make sure the two match up. Right. right. And so what you get is you get both size and redshift all from water masers. Wow. That's incredible. Completely independent of the Doppler, right. of, of right. the galaxy supernovas, and completely independent of the cosmic microwave background. All right. So now we've set up the methodology. And right. and so this, I mean, this sounds like a very accurate way to decide who's the winner. And the winner is? Neither. <laughs> oh. The CMB says 68. Uh, the uh, supernova method basically centers around 72. Uh, this method centers around 75, 76. Wow. Could be as high as 78. So it's it's even higher. It's basically this new result has made everything worse. <laughs> so it is not splitting the difference. It's not saying, okay. It's not splitting no. the difference and it's not agreeing with one or the other. It's saying you both are all wrong. Brian, what's the, what's the error bar? I want to say it's, let's see, it's three and a half on either side. So, so basically the um, 72 and, and this result, the, the supernova and this result just overlap. They just barely cross, but the best value is way outside of that. So, so you can say they agree, but yeah, they agree like a freshman physics lab agrees. Right. So <laughs> I've got an overlap. I'm counting it. So, so when we, when we consider the, the distances these are, these are measuring, right? The, the cosmic microwave background radiation, that's measuring the very beginning of the universe, 13 point, I guess now it doesn't matter. Who knows how far away that is? Um, right. uh, not 13.8, you know, some number that could be more or less than 13.8. But then you compare that to the supernova. They're more recent. Where do these Mazars sit on the on the time spectrum of the universe? They're in the same basic range as, as the supernovas. They're not quite as far. But one of the problems is that because you had the CMB and then you had the supernovas, you could argue... Well, maybe it was different over time. The CMB is a really far distance. And the supernovas, although they're billions of light years, are closer. Yeah. Well, this new method is in the same range. And so they overlap in distance and they don't agree. Right. So, so there isn't a resolution for them. Right. But, but I guess with... If you've got two methods, both of which are fairly accurate, both of which are attempting to measure the same rough period of time, that that seems to lend support to the idea that maybe, I and mean, we've talked about this again a couple of weeks ago, this idea that maybe it's the type 1a supernova that in fact we don't understand them as well as we thought we did. <clears throat> now we understand th this, right? Right, but there's there was another one that I had actually written about a, a week before that, that was an even a fourth method <laughs> that, that was using uh, basically the scale at which galaxies cluster. Right. It's called the baryon oscillation. And so what you get is a scale of those. Basically, as the universe expands, galaxies tend to cluster, but the gaps between them get bigger. By looking at the overall scale of that, you now have a measure of the rate of expansion. That one falls in, be that's even closer. So it was even a shorter distance into the galaxy, into the universe. And it was in between the CMB and the supernova one. Okay. So it doesn't agree with this either. Okay. So what's the explanation then? 
Oh, yeah, there's also another method you can. Oh, you can sure. Use. Yeah. Fifth. There's a couple of others. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, you can use the. So this one was sort of uh, sort of used after the 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 neutron merger discovery with the gravitational waves, because if you have a kilonova, which is that gives you you can get a redshift from that, you can get a distance uh, from the gravitational waves, and so if you have the redshift and you have the distance, you can solve for the for the Hubble parameter that way. And I mean, if we get to more observations at farther away, I know with some of those future observatories, we'll, we'll eventually turn up every kilonova explosion in the in the observable universe. Suddenly, you've got a completely independent multi uh, messenger method of calculating that would probably solve it once and for all, wouldn't it? If you could measure all those kilonovas going off, it it what what's really happening is that as we're getting more data, it's getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> because it was basically we're going to have different methods. We're going to have there's like half a dozen measures of yeah. doing this. Yeah, and they're all kind of all over the map. And and what's happening is we're getting more data, which is great. But what's happening is that all the uncertainties are just getting smaller. Yeah, we're not getting this kind of Oh, we were actually supposed to be right. here. Yeah. What yeah. we're getting is this. And yes. now, okay, now not, not only do they disagree, they now disagree harder, which is really problematic for understanding things. Okay. So so what are the creative ideas that astronomers are coming up with to explain the diverging results? You know, the the I mean it starts getting really kind of crazy in, in the ideas that people are coming up with. So maybe it's axions maybe dark matter is somehow connected to dark energy so they're two sides of the same coin and they're the, in the model they're fouling each other up um you know it, it could be that that there are so somebody's proposed like quantum fluctuations that would affect the rate of of shift from the light you're you're basically kind of going into let's throw out a whole bunch of standard physics and come up with other right. whatever wild idea we can come up with. I mean it, it sounds to me like like before the more recent accumulation like if you just have the two measurements the one at the beginning and the one at the end they're different rates then the answer is oh then it's just changing that it was this rate in the beginning and now the rate is changing now and there's like some kind of smooth change from the beginning to the end. That's easy-ish to wrap your head around. But the fact that multiple methodologies, which are very accurate, that are, that are measuring the expansion rate of the universe at the same time in kind of different ways, they're not agreeing and yet they're right. all very accurate. And so you can't come up with a simple explanation of oh it's just that the the speed of the universe goes up and down it's something weirder right so so if the speed of the universe goes up and down in different parts then the cosmological constant and einstein's idea is absolutely wrong you you can't have that within relativity but einstein um, was right that's something that we always say that's one we we typically say but you know, there could be things like there could be a fifth force of what they call quintessence. That that is some matter that gives off properties of energy in the same way that dark matter gives off properties of gravity. You know, we see the effects of dark matter from gravity. We could see the effects of this yeah. from dark energy. So, um, so then, I mean, if I was to come up with a theory 
to try to explain this, what little boxes would it need to check? Uh, it would need to, right now, it would need to account for why different measurements, why different methods give dramatically different results. And, and also, from what we can tell up to this point, why they don't have these dramatically different speeds right. in different directions. So it, so it would need to explain, so it would need to explain why masers work differently than supernova explosions work differently from gravitational waves work differently from the cosmic microwave background radiation that isn't it just speeding up and slowing down because it would literally have to explain each of these observations, why they look the way they do to come up with a number. Right. One way to do it is to say, you would have to explain why light behaves differently than light. <laughs> why, why light behaves differently than light. Okay, that one actually broke my brain. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> microwave lasers are just light. Yeah. The redshift is, is, should be exactly the same as it would be from the light of galaxies. And we can do those from distinct energy levels, so they should be exactly the same. You can tweak supernovas a bit, but, but we know that there's a limit to how much you can tweak them. Right. The microwave laser optical size is straight out of relativity. So you got to throw relativity out if you're throwing that out. Right. You know, the cosmic microwave background is, is a pretty standard and robust model. So you'd have to throw parts of that out. Yeah. Could you it know? be dust? Can I, just, can I just answer this right away and just say that it's dust? In this case, it can't be. Oh, because it's usually dust. It's always dust. Because in this case... It, not only is the light um, a single color, it's a single wavelength, it's also coherent. So, so the scattering takes on a whole different polarization character and stuff that you can account for. So, so this is a very nice way of measuring uh, cosmic expansion. Yeah. And it doesn't rely on a supernova model. You don't have to assume that there's a standard candle because you're not doing brightness. You're doing size and the dust, even though it could affect the brightness, won't affect the size and the size is straight out of gravity. So it's just this stuff is moving this fast because it's in free fall. <laughs> so if you had to place your bets today, what do you like or is it just is there just nothing? It's it's hard to say what I like because, you know, what I what I want to see is I want to see the radical theory. Yeah, you know, if if it's if it's quintessence, then that means there has to be something just like dark matter has to be some other particle that isn't part of the standard particle physics model. There has to be something else, whether it's axions or or sterile neutrinos or something. Um, dark energy would have to be something else yet again. It would have to be a whole new thing. That excites me because it would point us to a direction of radically different physics. Yeah. Chris, this is in your wheelhouse too. What, uh, place your bets. I, I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I, I, think I think I'm with Brian in, in the sense that I, I would love for all the physics to be upended within my lifetime. I'm, I'm sure that'd be great uh, for my career. Uh, and, and also because 
like the implications of this also they they trickle into like all of cosmology as well like how we build stru how structure forms it's because it's also dependent on the on our choice of level parameter and and on the choice of dark energy so if you throw that stuff out this also has huge implications for how we think like cl galaxy clusters form like how and like how uh, galaxies like the time scales when galaxies form and so the so if you pull if you pull the card out from the bottom, like all the entire, entire house, <laughs> right? And as you I'm, say, I'm, I'm glad to be alive. I'm glad to be alive during this time. That's the thing that I always find so funny is that people always say, "Oh, astronomers, you know, it's like a religion. They just like they don't, you know, they just they don't have no reason, and they and they don't want to be challenged in their theories." But I, you guys are giddy. I would describe you guys as giddy right now at the possibility of exciting new ideas in in cosmology and astronomy and an opportunity to see some fresh ideas, uh, which is the exact opposite, I think, from what people expect. Uh, Dan, I'll give you a chance to weigh in too. Uh, place your bets. Oh, you're muted. I'm muted. I, I don't think there, there are enough data in the uh, Maser thing to rival the huge amounts of data in the other two uh, categories, and so I wouldn't give it as much weight as the other two. So you think that Einstein was right? You still right? I I think yeah. I, I'll put my bets on Einstein. Yeah, <laughs> it, it has been a pretty safe bet for a long time, so it does make sense. Uh, fantastic. Well, I, guys, I really appreciate that. Uh, Beth, I don't know. Do you have Do you have a Do you want to have a take as well? I'm going to stick with Einstein. Every <laughs> Einstein time someone, was right. Every time someone sends me some yeah. email about Einstein is wrong, I just kind of yeah. laugh and go, "Yeah, okay." Yeah, and mark my words, it's dust. <laughs> here are the names of the patrons who support us at the ten dollar level and more want to see your name here support the work we do go to patreon.com universe today once a week i gather up all my space news into a single email newsletter and send it out it's got pictures brief highlights about the story and links you can find out more go to universetoday.com newsletter to sign up and did you know that all of my videos are also available in a handy audio podcast format so that you can have the latest episodes as well as special bonus material like interviews with me show up on your audio device. Go to universetoday.com audio or search for Universe Today on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll put a link in the show notes.